details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus-five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Probably uh, should get with some more Gatorade before I uh, get into the show too well here. A little late for that now, isn't it? Oh, it's never too late. I could just get up and leave. You wouldn't notice. Welcome in. It is Michael Groff in exile for a Wednesday, January 27th, 2010. A cloudy sort of dampish day here in the Valley of the Sun-Scorched Earth. All right. It's going to be a tough show to get through, but we're going to try and slug on through it, all right? Just got a lot on my mind and a lot of things to get out there. It's just been a somber couple of days. Get into that later on in the show as well. Meantime, uh, it is a historic evening tonight. We have a, an event of monumental proportions, yes. Tonight, of course, is the night that Barack Obama gives his first State of the Union address. That's going to be huge. I think right here on the Michael Groff program, we ought to, uh, we ought to do our own State of the Union. See, see what you think. I mean, we could really just have you, the home listener, do your own State of the Union. And I'm sure it's going to be a lot more honest, uh, filled with a lot less cliches, $5 words, and fluffy adjectives to try and put a positive spin on what is a rather negative situation right now. And when I say negative, I'm being realistic. I'm not being pessimistic. So we'll talk about that. It's uh, the big State of the Union address. Anybody that's seen a bit of a preview of what's to come on that tonight, you're going to you're going to love it. It's going to be a fantastic speech. I'm, I'm halfway tempted to do a special post-State of the Union podcast, but I think you and I both know that that's very unlikely to happen. All right. 
So we're going to get into a lot of that. There's a lot of political stuff, obviously, to talk about. Yeah, I know. I didn't do a show on Monday or Tuesday, so I guess I do sort of... I'm partially obligated to talk about the debacle that was the NFL conference championships over the weekend. I couldn't have been more disappointed. You know, on my picks against the spread, I went one and one, but it was not the way I wanted to go one and one. That's for sure. Uh. And my straight up picks too went one and one, except they went, well, I went one and one in the opposite direction. All right. We also have to talk about a very dangerous book that could be making an appearance in a child's classroom near you. Yes, your son or daughter may be exposed to a book containing some of the most sexually graphic and perverse things ever found. And it could be in your child's school, and you need to know about it because this is important. And the uh, focus on the family group, they've bought an ad in the Super Bowl. You know, focus on the family. We've blasted them quite a bit on the show in years past because they're just one of those kook organizations that anything that's on TV that's at all controversial or anything that's at all entertaining, like Family Guy, for example, these are the same people that James Dobson and those other guys over there at Focus on the Family, they're the first people to come out and blast it and they want to take it off the air. And it was because of people like that, this very, very shallow, slim, super minority. Uh, there's like 10 people in Focus on the Family. But see, what happens is they have a network, a fringe network of kooks, and they get a letter writing campaign going. And they they all have nothing else to do because most of them are, I have no idea what they're doing. They're, uh, they're I don't know, sitting at home, um, watching televangelist programs or maybe they are televangelists just taking money from uh, old ladies who want to be saved or whatever the case may be. I don't know what the deal is with these guys, but what they do is, is they all have these form letters and they all send them in. Remember after the, um, the wardrobe malfunction in the infamous Super Bowl and uh, with Janet Jackson? Well, they all got together and they decided they were going to make uh, about uh, 17,000 copies of their form letters on Microsoft Word. And they all sent them into the Federal Communications Commission. And uh, I believe Michael Powell was the chair of the FCC at the time. Or Michael Copps. It was one of those two guys. And they saw that. And of course, that was when they immediately had to have a crackdown on, uh, on indecency. We had to get a big crackdown going on indecency on television, on radio. So, you know, my, I definitely, most of the time when it comes to focus on the family, you know, I'm generally going to rule against anything they have to say. That being said, they uh, got together with uh, some other people and uh, they've got a, an ad that they are, that they have, they spent the, two and a half million bucks for a 30 second spot on the Super Bowl. And this ad is talking about Tim Tebow, the Heisman Trophy candidate, the, the, uh, the standout, the all college quarterback. And uh, they talked about how Tim Tebow, his mother initially was going to abort him, but then decided not to. And they, they, they told a story about how his mother wound up not aborting him and now how he's like this Heisman Trophy quarterback and 
You know, he could be uh, the next big thing in the NFL. Who knows? Uh, obviously, a lot of teams are going to be interested in Tim Tebow. And it's a great story. Hey, listen, he's a nice kid. He's a, he's a hell of a kid from everything that uh, is out there and being reported. Who knows? He could turn out to be another Plexico Burris or one of these jackasses. You never know. But for now, uh, he seems to be a very clean kid with a really bright future. So focus on the family. They said, hey, uh, if you abort somebody, you could very well be aborting the next Heisman Trophy candidate. And so they have uh, purchased this ad in the Super Bowl to say this. And CBS uh, approved it. They have a contract and everything like that. So there's, there's no problem, right? Oh, wait. Yes, there is from some of these women's organizations that say that by CBS running such an ad, they are blasting women's rights. They're against women's rights, like their right to have an abortion. Now, I don't know. I don't think the ad says anything about women's rights. It doesn't say anything about it. What it is, this is just another chapter in the age-old story of pro-life versus pro-abortion. And I'm not even going to say pro-choice. I'm going to say pro-abortion because that's what these people are. They are they're in favor of women being able to have abortion for whatever reason. Abortion for birth control, abortion to, uh, I don't know, for, for fun, for kicks, for giggles, who knows? Oh, look, there goes a baby. I mean, I don't know, whatever the point is. So they're all about, they want to have an abortion. And they think that it is just a fundamental woman's right, and they are upset that CBS would dare take money from such an organization. My theory is CBS is a corporation, Corporations have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders. I'm pretty sure that if this women's organization, a bunch of these yentes all got together and they decided to pony up $2.5 million to run uh, an ad that said, you know, abortion is really fantastic. Oh, when you put that Hoover vacuum cleaner up there and you suck that baby out by the head, it's just beautiful. Everyone should get an abortion. This message brought to you by a bunch of cooked up women. Or whatever the hell the spot would say. Now, you know me. Uh, as far as, uh, as far as I, and of course, these are the same people that believe, you know, it, it's again, it brings up the age old argument about abortion. Look, I'm not even going to get into it except to say these people, it's a fundamental difference. It's, it's a basic difference. One side believes abortion is wrong. The other side thinks abortion's neat. You know, one side believes that it's a life upon conception. The other side believes that it's not human until what? It's about three years old. You know, they think it's just a bunch of protoplasm. Honestly, you know, the, you know, Barack Obama's uh, science and technology director, the guy that's uh, in charge of that, his, uh, his science uh, and technology advisor in his book, he wrote that, uh, we teach children how to become human. It is because of their environment that they become human. So even when they're born, they're not human per se. That was that's that should tell you the kind of mentality that some of these people have. So anyway, uh, that's that's <laughs> so you have that's what you have going on here. This is a debate over the Super Bowl ad, and I think it's the the silliest debate. But these women, they're very serious. They say, you know, forty percent of the audience that watches the Super Bowl are women. And you're going to just slap them all in the face and say, you don't have the right to get an abortion. That's not what CBS is saying at all. You know what CBS is saying? CBS is saying, well, thank you for your $2.5 million. Cha-ching, they put it in their coffers. It, you could pretty much advertise anything on the Super Bowl. I mean, there are ads that they have said no to. 
uh, especially in the post Janet Jackson uh, era. Uh, there's a lot of ads that they have said no. They said no to some of the lamest ads that weren't even at all racy to me. Some of those Doritos ads or the, or the um, not the Doritos ad, the, uh, the GoDaddy, uh, one of the GoDaddy ads. They had, this, they had this hot chick. I don't know, she was shaking her ass or something like that. They said no to that. And there wasn't even anything really particularly racy about that. But at the end of the day, CBS is, uh, they, they can't get as much money as you normally would for a Super Bowl spot because of the uh, wonderful economy. And so they're, they're willing to take just about anybody's cash. This should just exemplify that point. And it's going to get a lot of people talking about the issue. It's going to bring it up. And these women say that by bringing it up, by calling attention to it, you know, we, you might just, uh, well, people might just be persuaded. Well, isn't that what the point of a commercial is for whatever reason? It's commercials are persuasive propaganda in a sense. Whether it's a commercial for Taco Bell, whether it's a commercial for a Honda, whether it's a commercial for just to promote your own personal agenda. That's what the point of a commercial is, is to persuade you into buying something. There's various ways that it can try and persuade you. It can do a hard sell, a soft sell, whatever. But that's what this is. It's it's just trying to it's trying to get an idea out there. What are these people so afraid of? These women, these women's organizations, that people will stop having abortions. Oh no! Let's God, I sure hope not. Boy, that'd be a terrible thing if women just stopped having abortions altogether, wouldn't it? You know, the dumbest person in all in this entire debate. This is I I I think we have the clip. I think we have the clip. There's a clip of, of, of course, of all people, of all places to go for stupid opinions. I would go to The View, Joy Behar. Now, she has a very interesting opinion. Now, she uh, says that Tim Tebow could have just as easily turned out to be an axe murderer or something of that nature. As a matter of fact, here's the clip right here. <laughs> you knew I'd have this. Anytime somebody says something stupid, it's naturally going to come from, well, where else but The View. All right, well, uh, here's the clip. This is just... You know, a commercial schedule uh, to air during Super Bowl has women's groups outraged. It's about a mom who ignores recommendations for her to abort her baby and how that baby grows up to become a Florida Gators football star, Tim Tebow. Now, the ad is from conservative Christian focus group Focus on Family, and Tebow says it celebrates life. So what's, why are folks, what are people flipping out about? I'm not well, sure. I don't know. The only argument against any of it is that, you know, he could just as easily become a, some kind of a rapist pedophile. I mean, you don't know what someone's going to be. So, I mean, in this case, he turned out to be great. <laughs> so but it's not an argument about abortion or not abortion. It's just this, in this particular case, this particular woman decided not to do it. And this is the wonderful result. And there are others who decide to do it, and they're glad that they did it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a very individual. Yes, so there's women that, that did it, and they're glad that they aborted their child because you know who, who knows he maybe they could have been a great florida quarterback because you don't know this is the dumbest argument ever because we don't know what he would have become uh that means it's okay to abort okay well um what if somebody had aborted you well then i wouldn't have had stupid clips to play on this show i wouldn't have had your your idiocy to share with an audience of people oh my god what a what a terrible argument. That's got to be the worst argument ever. 
Well, um, we don't know what could have, you know, he could have grown up to be a, a, a pedophile. He could have been Tim Tebow, the pedophile. He could have been uh, uh, the the Florida, you know, the next, uh, he could have been the Florida Strangler or something like that. So, you know, if we just take this argument to its logical end, why not just say then that we don't know what a, a child that's been born is going to be like. Uh, we don't know what they're going to be. Uh, hell, we don't know what they're going to be. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to be until 40. So why don't we just start killing people at hell at 20, 25, 30 years old? Hey, you haven't figured out what you want to do yet? <laughs> you're gone. That that makes sense. Wow. All right. So Joy Behar officially making the dumbest comments of the week. All right. So <laughs> there, you, you, you knew that <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. All right. Now, I... I'm hesitant to even really talk about this. I, it just doesn't even seem worth it now. <laughs> Seemed like such a good idea before, but now, uh, now, I, I don't know. Oh, well. Let's do it. So just to give a quick recap, because it's already Wednesday, and Super Bowl 44 is set. It'll be Cold Saints. Or should I say Colts and the greatest city ever, the city of New Orleans, Katrina, 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 Katrina. Oh, my God. That's what's it's being crammed down our throat. Just how great the city of New Orleans is. And by the way, did you guys know that they had a hurricane there? Oh, my God. I didn't know. Oh, this city. It's so wonderful. It's so great that this city is able to recover from that devastating hurricane. And it's so great that their city is there. They have their New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl, the first time they've ever gone. Didn't we hear this same crap when they were playing the Bears in the NFC title game in 2006? This would be so great for the city of New Orleans. I almost said the city of Katrina. Good old chocolate Ray Nagin gets, uh, finally gets his, uh, his wish, huh? little late but why not all right here's my synopsis of what happened uh first of all jets colts after the jets blitzed peyton manning for about the 93rd time in that game i think i think peyton manning and, and the colts were able to make the appropriate adjustments and then the 14 to 6 the eight point lead that the jets had early on quickly evaporated you knew that once the jets I, I when they were up 14 to 6 heading toward halftime i thought maybe the jets would have it but i give it up to the colts they had to get that touchdown they absolutely had to get that um going into halftime because the jets had the ball to start the second half they could have eaten up a lot of that clock got on one of those long drives and even if they would have kicked another field goal there to go up 20 to 13 at the time I think the entire dynamic of the game would have been changed. But Peyton Manning, he's just... I hate to sit here and just... I hate to Joe Buck this. All right, but Peyton Manning really is just phenomenal. Maybe. I am i don't even know if it's maybe anymore. I think he's the best quarterback I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm 32 years old. I saw a lot of Joe Montana growing up. I remember watching those Super Bowls with Joe Montana. And I remember seeing Steve Young and Troy Aikman and, 
You know, even um, uh, there's a lot of great quarterbacks I saw growing up. All right. And even uh, Kurt Warner is, is up there too. Kurt Warner doesn't have quite the same career that maybe a Joe Montana did in, in, in some semblance, but I have to tell you that I think Peyton Manning is just the best quarterback I've ever seen. He's, he throws into double coverage. He threads the needle so fine. Those receivers are, are, and again, give it up to the Colts receivers making great catches, but he throws these balls right where they need to be. He has such precision passing. It doesn't matter if it's a slant route. It doesn't matter if it's an out route. It does not matter what kind of defense he throws it into, man, zone, if he throws it into double coverage. It doesn't matter. He's able just to make these amazing throws. I I don't know how Peyton Manning does it. I don't know how he doesn't have 30 interceptions every season. He, But he's just that good. And... I really, I don't know how I'm able to do it. I don't know why I do it, but I guess I underestimated Peyton Manning once again. And I, I, I thought the Colts would win this game. I did, but I took the Jets with the points. I said the Jets would win seven plus seven and a half was a big spread. I figured the Colts would win by a field goal. Uh, as it turns out, they, well, they won by almost two touchdowns, 30 to 17, the final there. There's really not much analysis. The Jets uh, had some key defensive injuries. They just wore down. That's really what happened. And the Colts were able to out-scheme the Jets. The Jets got into a, a situation where they were blitzing Peyton Manning. And they got to Peyton Manning early in the game. They were. They were able to. But after that, once uh, the Colts got the lead, Mark Sanchez was not necessarily going to be able to drive them back and, uh, and play catch-up. And, and that was the game. And then the Vikings, uh, Saints. Look, I, I was I was fully prepared to come in here and do twenty minutes of analysis of this. I could have sat here and talked about how Adrian Peterson fumbled, how the Vikings had six fumbles in the game, they lost three of those fumbles, how Brett Favre threw two interceptions, one of which was a completely needless, worthless interception with seven seconds to go in the ball game. Why the hell are you doing that? Why not just eat the football, kick the field goal, win, and go to the Super Bowl? You know, I could, I was going to sit here and, and analyze that. And I was going to talk about, in part, how great Bernard Berrien was. I, I, and uh, I, I was, I was, that, that was just part of, and, and Shanko, of course, you couldn't forget him. But uh, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Because honestly, um, well, I'll tell you the truth. When the game went to overtime, when the game went to overtime and there was the coin toss, and the Saints won the toss. I, I got up and I went to bed. I went to sleep. I wasn't going to watch the rest of the game. I didn't need to. I already knew what was going to happen. It was a once the team that wins the coin toss wins two thirds of the time. So for me and the way the Vikings were playing, I knew there was no way they were going to win. And I was right. And so the Saints, they came down the field. They, they got the benefit of some very generous calls, I will say. Number one, Reggie Bush did not get the touchdown in the fourth quarter. You can sit here and try and tell me, spin it any way you want. Reggie Bush didn't get a touchdown. The ball didn't cross the plane of the end zone. They reviewed it, and he still didn't get it. You could have replayed that 100 times. He did not get the ball in. I've watched it again. He did not get the ball over the plane. So... Again, look, everybody wanted a Saints-Colts matchup. That's what the public wanted. A lot of you people wanted that. So now, guess what? You get two weeks of nonstop talk about Katrina and how great it is for the city of New Orleans. And these people, uh, these wonderful, 
these wonderful folks in the city of New Orleans and how this city has come back from such devastation. This was a, this was a stadium with holes in the roof just a few short years ago with people dying in this very Superdome and water flooding the Superdome. You had literally thousands of displaced people here seeking refuge as their homes were flooded as people, as the, as 1,800 people in the southeastern United States, their lives were claimed by the devastating Hurricane Katrina. But what does that have to do with football? Because the city of New Orleans is involved. That's what it has to do with football. Oh, okay. I, I just wonder how much money some of those officials had on the game, really. <laughs> but seriously, I, I have to tell you, and I know this is going to come across as sour grapes, but I really kind of have to wonder. Um... Is this not the most overrated team to come out of the NFC ever? I really think they are. I think that this New Orleans Saints team is the most overrated. I I think they're going to lose. Again, I, I really think that Peyton Manning, the Colts, they're just going to run over these guys. They're going to run rough shot on these guys. It's going to be an easy 14-point win at the minimum for the Colts. Probably more. This This team is overrated, and I'm telling you this right now, and I'm not just saying it because... They knocked out the two teams I was rooting for. I'm telling you that I think the Colts are just going to destroy the New Orleans Saints. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Fine. The line opened at four. It's up to five and a half or six now. The public, look, um, I have to tell you, part of me uh, also roots against the Saints because any team that the media gets behind and just roots for and is just openly, and, and it's not even objective, they're just openly just uh, shoving the team down our throat. Oh, Saints, oh, Katrina. Any team that the media does that to, I immediately root against them. I root for the other team. I do. I, I have to tell you that I'm just, I'm that kind of a person. I don't like a particular team or some of some type of agenda being crammed down my throat. I've never been that way. And uh, the only time I think I've ever kind of gone with the, the favorite and I've really been just hardcore rooting for the favorite was the, I, I was rooting for the Patriots to beat the giants in 2007, I 2007, 2008, because that was history. I was rooting for a 19 and 0 season. I, I really don't like Bill Belichick. I got to tell you, and he really showed his true colors at the end of that game. But nonetheless, I was still rooting for the Patriots that year. I So that was probably the only time I've ever gone against that. But most of the time when I hear these stories, oh, oh, the, the underdog, the backs, our backs are against the wall. Nobody picked us the whole season. You know, that whole crap. Every time I hear that, I immediately go against that team. I'm about the underdog. In this case, though, I'm going to go with the favorite. I'm going to go against the media, as I always do. I'm going against the media. I'm going against the team that everybody's cramming down my throat, and I'm going against them because they beat the two teams I was rooting for, the Cardinals and the Vikings. So, uh, Colts, um, I don't have an official pick on this game yet. I'm just going to wait till we get a little bit closer to game day. Um, but I, I'm telling you right now, um, I really like the Colts minus the whatever they're being given. Minus the four, the five and a half. Now it's up to six, whatever it is. I love, love the Colts in this game. Bet the money like you already, like you already wanted. Okay, spend the money like you already wanted. Get a little animated. 
Actually, on that Vikings game, I picked the Vikings plus three and a half, and guess what? Cover! So, um, I didn't have any money on it, though. So, I can't even take solace in the Vikings actually, uh, in the Vikings losing because they still covered. I can't take solace in it because I didn't actually have money on the game. I just gave the pick on the air. I just gave it away. Oh, I'm giving away the good picks. All right, um... A few other things to get to here. Uh, yeah, Friday was the last night of the Conan O'Brien uh, era on The Tonight Show. And I have to tell you that having watched the final Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, it's kind of disappointing in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I thought that, first of all, his serious message where he came out and he thanked NBC for the opportunity to host The Tonight Show and I thought he was going to do some kind of a bit. I thought he was going to say, all right, seriously, here's what I want to do. I want to take this opportunity to thank NBC for dicking me over or something like that. I thought for sure he was going to do something. He was serious. He actually came out and thanked NBC for the opportunity. Now, some people would say that that was a classy move. I say, screw NBC. If I'm Conan O'Brien, I'm saying, screw NBC. Screw you guys. You guys put me in an unwinnable situation. You put this this crackpot, this, this ratings disaster, Jay Leno on at 10 o'clock. There was no lead in for the news, which meant no lead in for me, which meant I got screwed. And uh, even Jay got screwed, quite honestly, but he deserves it. Who cares about Jay Leno? But he, Conan O'Brien got just absolutely crushed in this deal. And then they expected Conan to well, just move yourself to 12. Uh, we'll move you to 12.05. We'll put Jay on for a half hour before you. I couldn't imagine... Uh, and of course, Jay was a great move on Jay's part because he knew he was probably going to be able to get the Tonight Show back, even if the experiment didn't go well at 10 o'clock. Jay knows they wanted to keep Jay the whole time. They wanted to keep Conan and they had to pay the price. I, I can't feel too bad for Conan. Look, he left with $32 million. His staff got, uh, what, $13 million or whatever it was. So I can't feel too bad for the guy. He's going to, at September 1st, he gets to move to Fox, which is probably what's going to wind up happening. Fox has expressed an interest in getting into the late night arena. And I just, I hope, I really hope that Conan comes on Fox and kicks the crap out of Jay. David Letterman kicks the crap out of Jay. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel kicks the crap. Everybody kicks the crap out of Jay. Because Jay Leno... I'm telling you right now, I don't find uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno funny. I don't find Jay Leno particularly funny. His interviews are horrible. They're all just suck-ass interviews. So I'm not going to ask anything controversial because if I do that, then I won't be considered a nice guy and people won't come back and do my shows. Such a suck ass. He really is. He's he's terrible. Oh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really not. I'm a really good guy. He wants you to think he's such a good guy. Well, you know, NBC came to me and they said, they said, well, uh, how would you like to go back to 1130? We think that Conan will like that. He'll, he'll be fine going at 12 o'clock. And I was like, fine. Ah, whatever. Give me a break. So Jay Leno's a slime. We've learned that. But the last Conan O'Brien show was disappointing. Then Will Ferrell came out for this really long bit where they played Freebird for like six minutes or whatever. And I know he did the, the cowbell reference and that was cool and everything. But I don't know. I thought that it, it, the bit just went on a little bit too long and I didn't really, I don't know. I guess I didn't get the whole idea of the bit. The singing wasn't really there. 
I, I didn't understand why Will Ferrell was necessarily there. Um, I think the thing that really sucked was uh, was what Tom Hanks came out. And I didn't get that at all. I just thought maybe for the final show, you just give the big middle finger to NBC. I think that would have been a great thing to do. But instead, uh, thank you, NBC. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for really screwing me over. Yeah, he came out there. He thanked them. Have you ever have you ever been absolutely just destroyed by somebody that you worked for? Because I know this has happened to me. You've had somebody that you worked for that absolutely gave you the screwing. And on the way out the door, you said to them, no, you know what? Thank you for raping me. Thank you for absolutely pillaging me financially. Thank you for screwing me. And thank you. No, I really, I really mean it. I really am. I'm very grateful for the fact that you decided that uh, uh, you're not going to honor your contract. I think that's wonderful. That happened to me, you know. That is, that's actually happened to me twice. And uh, once was recently and once was not so recently. And uh, I'll just, I'll leave the, uh, the people shall remain nameless. But um, in a sense, I think both of them are going to get, well, one of them already sort of got their comeuppance uh, legally. And then another one is going to get theirs, I think, eventually too. So ultimately, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm not too pissed off about it. I guess, I guess Conan says, you know, I'll kiss their ass while I'm going out the door. And then in September, I'm just going to come back and I'll kill them. I will murder them in the ratings. Look, the guy that's really benefited from all of these late night wars, uh, ultimately, I think was David Letterman. He, he had some pretty stellar ratings. Although I know Conan for these last several shows has done very well ratings wise, but um, not so much. Um, I, I, I will have to see how well he does when Jay Leno comes back March 1st. Uh, this week, I guess, uh, they're running repeats of Conan, uh, then starting in February, I know, when is it? Uh, the 11th or something. They start with the Olympic games, the winter Olympics. Who cares about those? They're in Canada anyway, so they might as well not even be happening. Um, then what else we've got? Um, let's see. That's it. I mean, then March 1st, Jay Leno makes his triumphant return. September 1st, it looks like that's when... Uh, Conan's going to come back and, and all the while David Letterman's going to have months and months of material and coasting along and he'll be fine. And, uh, you know, he's the real winner in all this. CBS has got to be loving this, man. If you're an executive over at CBS, uh, I'm, what are you guys? Are you having a champagne toast every evening? What's, <laughs> what's the protocol over at CBS right now? Uh, who, who thought that CBS would actually come out smelling like a rose in all of this? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's great. I, I, I thought it made for very compelling late night TV. The problem is, is now we're going to go back to the boring, uh, shtick filled late night TV where nobody says anything real. Uh, well, I mean, I hope it doesn't go back to that, but it's gonna for a while. But when Conan resurfaces, I wonder. There's a gag order on him. I know that. Uh, so he's not going to be talking about NBC at least not until he resurfaces. So I'll. It's interesting. I'm, I'm very, I'm definitely looking forward to all of the, all of the fiasco, the late night fiasco that's coming up in the next few months. I'm sure we'll talk about it even more. But to summarize this entire conversation, the last uh, episode of Conan's show, uh, to me personally, I, I don't know. I kind of thought it was a little bit disappointing, especially the part where he thanked NBC. Lame. All right. Obviously, a lot of things to get into. We will do so. Coming up, um, a couple of stories about political correctness gone completely over the top.
one of them coming from the UK where apparently when you are posting a job opening, there's just certain words you can't use. And none of them are profanity-laced or sexist, but they these words, this particular word could now be considered discriminatory. It's unbelievable. I, I was just looking at a job application today or a job posting today. And this word was in it. I didn't know that that was offensive. Plus, my version of the State of the Union address on this historic evening. With Barack Obama set to give his State of the Union address coming up in just a little while. And we have a lot more still to get to. Mike at KMGX.com. That's my email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. That's also the PayPal address. Should you want to be amazing, super generous, awesome, and uh, float a few bucks our way to continue this fine broadcast, that would be tremendous. And uh, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. We're on IRC. We're everywhere. You know it. It's Michael Groff in Exile back in just a moment. I don't know. We're, I'm in a weird mood with the bumpers, so you'll just, just have to deal with it. Time flies. Doesn't seem a minute since the Tyrolean spa had the chess bars in it. All change. Don't you know that when you play at this level, there's no ordinary venue? It's Iceland or the Philippines or Hastings or, or this place. Start drowning me I'm with you Right here from the start Swear we'll fall apart And what you do Is still not good enough Back with segment number two Of Michael Graff in Exile For a Wednesday, January 27th, 2010 Right here from the start Yeah Swear we'll fall apart Mike at KMGX.com The email address And that's also the PayPal address, Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger, and EFNet, IRC Net Radio, the channel. You can always participate in the program through those avenues. to issue this. We have a we have several hypocrisy alerts coming from the White House. Our illustrious fearless leader Barack Hussein Obama. A couple of hypocrisy alerts and I I have to tell you that I know we're going to catch a lot of crap for bringing this up. How dare I go back to the campaign and the promises and everything like that. I I know that's it's dirty pool for me, but I suppose we might as well do it because I think it's germane to this discussion. Uh, you might recall that during the campaign, uh, during the presidential debates uh, back in 2008, Barack Obama blasted John McCain when he brought up the idea of having a federal spending freeze. Barack Obama said that that was like taking a hatchet to a job that required a scalpel and then proceeded to tell John McCain why that was such a stupid idea. Now... 
Fast forward to January 2010. In tonight's State of the Union address, Barack Obama, among other things, will introduce the idea of a federal spending freeze. <laughs> wow. So it was a bad idea then, but now it's a fine idea. I guess we're taking out the hatchet. We're, we're putting away, we're putting down the scalpels and taking out the hatchet. Is this president too much or what? But that's not even the best one. You may also recall that Barack Obama was blasting the Republicans, the Bush administration, and John McCain because there was no bid contracts being awarded in Iraq, and that was a bad policy that was just, that was terrible. It was just the worst thing ever. Well, here we are, 2010, and Barack Obama is giving out no bid contracts in Afghanistan. Amazing what you'll do for people that donated to your campaign, isn't it? Well, uh, for more, here's uh, here's just a, a bit more from uh, the investigation that Fox News did on this. Yes. Here it is. President Obama campaigned on a promise to end so-called no-bid federal contracts. But in this Fox News exclusive, correspondent James Rosen reports the Obama administration has just awarded a multi-million dollar contract to a politically connected firm without giving rival companies a chance to compete for it. In some cases, contracts are awarded without competition, and that's completely unacceptable. Almost a year after President Obama announced new guidelines on contracting, Fox News has learned the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID, just steered a sole source or no-bid contract to D.C.-based Czechian company Consulting. Uncle Sam will pay the firm more than $24.6 million to train lawyers and judges in Afghanistan, and thereby, in theory, strengthen the rule of law there. I think the administration should explain what the decision was based on and why a no-bid contract was given in this case, particularly given that Mr. Obama came in on a pledge of no more no-bid contracts. So for $25 million, we have a right to be sure that we're getting the best value and that that should be a bid contract. After 72 hours of silence, USAID told Fox News the Checky deal was actually a contract renewal. Bid out in 2004, but not this time so as to allow, quote, work on the ground to continue. Federal records show that as far back as March 2007, the Obama presidential campaign began receiving donations from Vincent Checky, the owner of Checky and Company. At least 40 $4,400 in all, close to the maximum possible. Checky has also given to various arms of the Democratic National Committee and MoveOn.org. At the same time, then-Senator Obama was scoring debate points by attacking the Bush administration for, quote, sweetheart deals with favored contractors and by promising to open up the process online for the American taxpayers. If they see a no-bid contract going to Halliburton, they can check that out, too. Following up on Fox News reporting, Congressman Darrell Issa, ranking Republican on the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, wrote to the head of USAID that on its face, the consulting contract awarded to Checky to support the Afghan justice system does not appear to be so urgent or attendant to an immediate need so as to justify such a waiver. It's hard to say that this organization has done such a great job of bringing the justice system in Afghanistan up to snuff that they should somehow uh, not have to go through a competitive bidding process. Vincent Checky told Fox News he only learned about the no-bid status after the fact. His corporate competitors declined to speak on the record, fearing retribution by the Obama administration. But privately, they said it was a mystery why USAID put out and then revoked an initial solicitation for bids. In Washington, James Rosen, Fox News. So the first question I thought when I saw this story was, how exactly do they spin this so that it's favorable? I mean, I suppose they could say, well, I guess that depends on what your definition of no bid is. 
Uh, how else could they possibly spin this? This is a no-bid contract. No-bid contracts are exactly what everybody lambasted the Bush administration all about. And yet, I'm not hearing any of these uh, the talking heads, the typical pundits over on the left side of the aisle blasting their hero, Barack Obama, because he's got no-bid contracts. Is Randy Rhodes blasting him? Tom Hartman? Rachel Maddow? Uh, Ed Schultz? Well, he's too busy trying to figure out how to vote 10 times in the upcoming elections, so he, he can't be bothered with that right now. Anybody, I'd like to hear anybody over on that side. Hell, I'd take some, uh, some moderate talk show host to do that. Why does it always have to be people like me that point these things out? Believe me, I would love to sit here. I know that some of you are going to say, well, what about Republicans, Mike? Well, you know, Republicans had the no-bid contracts too. Well, guess what? That was in the past. And you know what's uh, interesting about it is the Democrats are the ones that were so adamant against the no-bid contracts. It was one of their talking points about why Bush should be impeached. And yet here they are doing the same thing. So I'm just wondering when we're going to hear the other side. I, that's what I want. If you're going to hold one side accountable... And you got to hold the other side. I'd love to sit here and blast Republicans right now, but guess what? They're not in any position of power. They're not in control of the House. They're not in control of the Senate. They're not in control of the White House. Uh, they're barely in control of the Supreme Court. So I, I, I'd love to sit here and blast them. And I, I would gladly do so. I certainly did. Uh, the $400 billion deficit that George Bush had in his final, uh, his final budget was atrocious. Oh, and if we're going to talk about the budget, oh, I've got, hold on, we've got some budget news here. Some budget news. Let's see. Oh, you know that $787 billion stimulus? Remember that? The stimulus where we all got uh, some, some free money, we all got some checks, and it was great. Well, as it turns out, the $787 billion stimulus is $150 billion over budget. Whoops. <laughs> Wow. How did that happen? How did we screw that one up too? And they're talking about another stimulus. They wanted to start uh, talks on getting another stimulus package going. This one's already uh, over budget, but this is going to be about a trillion dollars, this stimulus, when it's all said and done. We're already at about $940 billion on it. And really, who's benefited from it? Well, they did build some courts in, uh, where was that? Where were we reading about that? In Wyoming? Some little town in Wyoming built a bunch of tennis courts. They used the stimulus money to build tennis courts. So I'm glad that the taxpayer money is being spent well. All right, so for tonight's upcoming State of the Union address for the president... Uh, there's there's a couple of things I want to highlight here. Um, uh, of course, one thing that he's going to talk about is health care. The issue of health care is really fascinating. Barack Obama tonight is going to press the great big reset button with the American people because there's been something of a disconnect. He feels there's been something of a disconnect between him and the American people. And that disconnect starts with Congress and the health care legislation and the entire mess that's been brought about from that. Now... The problem is, is that depending on what poll you look at, about 60 to 70% of the American people are against the universal health care program as it's being proposed or even some of these other offshoots of it. A lot of people are against it. So what happens if you're against something and it, let's just say, for example, you ask a woman out on a date and she says no. Usually you sort of take no to mean, well, 
No. You take that to walk away and try and uh, move on to the next person. You know, usually no means no. Well, for Barack Obama and the Democrats, apparently no means no. They, they really want it. They just don't know they want it. So we're just going to keep trying to cram it down their throat. Barack Obama, rather than say, all right, the American people have, have really rejected the idea of health care. And, and, no, he's going to come at you twice as hard, twice as much vigor tonight with the uh, health care talk in the State of the Union address. Oh, my God, he, he won't give up with this. He's not going to give up the ghost. That's one thing. Now, I just told you that we're $150 billion over budget on the latest stimulus package that was out there. Well, with that in mind, Barack Obama has an idea. I just I noticed this in the State of the Union in the in the preview. Apparently, one of his ideas is that he's going to propose uh, high speed trains to be built in places like California. So you could go from Sacramento to San Francisco to Los Angeles to San Diego. Because that should really fix everything. Hey, man, we're, uh, we've, we got a $12 trillion debt. We've got all this deficit that we're racking up. We're way over budget on the stimulus package. But at least, at least we're going to be able to get from San Francisco to Los Angeles at 200 miles per hour. That's good. Glad we're building that. Usually you build bullet trains or you build these high-speed trains when you've got the money to actually do it. You know, here in the Phoenix area, we have this light rail system, and, and it's a joke. Our light rail system is such a joke. But um, they're building another, what, five-mile extension on it or something, five or eight miles. I can't remember how long it is, but it's not a very long extension to the light rail system at a cost of $250 million. Now... If a few miles of light rail track costs $250 million to build, can you imagine what a high-speed train in California to make it earthquake safe and everything like that, can you imagine the technology that's going to be required to build hundreds of miles of rail track so that you can have a high-speed train on it? Can you imagine how much that's going to... I mean, we're talking billions, billions, billions... I can't even begin to fathom the, the cost that it, it would require. This president, he is into, I tell you what, I've never seen a guy more eager to spend money in my entire life. And I, I don't know how it is that you can have such an enormous deficit and spend your way out of it. That's uh, not something I learned in economics I know that. My free enterprise and economics classes in high school, uh, we learned that if you have a deficit, you have to learn to cut things so that you can operate in a surplus. So, for example, if you make uh, $1,000 a week and yet you're spending $1,100 a week, maybe you don't go out and eat so much. Maybe you don't go to the movies uh, every, uh, every night or, or you don't go to the bar every night, whatever. You, don't, you, you do something less. You don't smoke the cigarettes. You uh, cancel the cable or satellite, something. You have to make some sacrifices so that you have enough money so that you operate in a surplus, not a deficit. But apparently when the United States operates in a deficit, what our solution is, hey, let's spend more money. It's a good idea. So my version of the State of the Union is this. When Barack Obama took over just over a year ago now, 370, what, 371 days ago, 
when he took over, we had seven and a half percent unemployment. We had a 10.5 or so trillion dollar debt. We had a $400 billion budget deficit. We had a country, well, we had a, a House and Senate that was comprised uh, a majority party of Democrats. And uh, we had a nation that was becoming more polarized. But Barack Obama was, we were told that he was a community organizer, a great unifier. So one year later, where are we? Well, we have a, we have 10% unemployment. We have a $12.2 trillion debt now. We have the latest uh, budget $1.3 trillion deficit. We have a nation that's more polarized than ever where people uh, on the left and right are not coming together. There's secret meetings. There's all kinds of, uh, there's subterfuge going on all over the place. You can't get uh, the House and Senate to agree on any kind of bills, uh, health care, anything really. You can't get the left and right to talk because the left shuts out the right. They have a they had a filibuster-proof Senate. And the unification that we were supposed to see in the United States, well, we're, there's not even unification in the Democratic Party anymore. An example of this, Barbara Boxer, who on the grand scale of the left-to-right spectrum, she's about as far to the left as anybody in the Senate. And yet, she's against... Barack Obama's idea of continuing Ben Bernanke as Fed chairman. Matter of fact, many people in the Democratic Party are against this. Many Democrats are against the health care bill as it is currently being presented. Barack Obama doesn't like this. There's the only reason that the Democrats can't get anything passed in the House and Senate. Now, they're blaming Republicans and a lot of these talking heads on, uh, like, again, the, the Randy Rhodes and the Rachel Maddows. A lot of them are blaming Republicans for all this, for all their woes. But the people that they should be blaming are the people in their own party. They can't get unification even in their own party. So how is Barack Obama some sort of great unifier when he can't even get his own party to unite because the Republicans are not a factor. I've said this on the show time and time again, and I will continue to say it. They are in the minority right now. They can't stop you. If you have, if you have uh, ideas, if you have objectives that you want to push forward, you have something that you want to get done, guess what? Guess what? The Republicans can't stop you. They can barely even organize a filibuster because you still have such a tremendous lead in the Senate. You're going to have it for the next uh, 10 months or so, so you better enjoy it while you've got it. Because the American people are speaking, and they're speaking very loudly and with a very clear voice. If you thought that the election of a Republican for uh, for Senate in Massachusetts was phenomenal. Wait till you see what just might happen in November. You might see a lot of people thrown out of office. You might see a lot of turnover in the House. You might see some turnover in the Senate. It's going to happen. The American people are getting fed up. They're fed up with Congress. Congressional approval rating still in the toilet. This is the State of the Union right now. You've got jobs still being lost, 50 to 100,000 every month. You have uh, people, the, the consumer confidence is lower than it's ever been. People are freaking out. And 
I know that uh, that it's not just all Barack Obama, okay? I mean, anybody that's smart would understand that this is not just a problem that's limited to one president or one uh, small window of time. This isn't just a one-year or even a three or even a five-year issue. This is a problem that's been set up for many, many years, a dozen years or so. This is a dozen years in the making, what we're at now, probably even more than that. You look at the financial crisis, you look at the, the regulations or the deregulations, you look at the fact that there was redlining going on, you look at the fact that um, that we had such a, we had banks, we had uh, people giving loans to, to people that just had no business getting loans for fear of being called discriminatory. We just had all these weird policies. It was just a, a perfect storm of, of, Tremendous proportions have put us here. However, that said, Barack Obama has done nothing to help and is only him and the Democratic Party only proposing further spending increases, which are only adding to the debt. Increasing deficit spending doesn't get you out of debt. Anybody that tries to spin it and say, well, uh, anybody that knows anything about an economy knows that you have to spend more to make more. That's like you go to Las Vegas and you bring a thousand bucks and you're like, you know, man, I'm going to win. I'm going to win big. And you go there and you lose. You go and you play a few hands of blackjack with your thousand bucks. Or maybe you play it all at once. Thousand bucks right there. Boom. You're done. You're like, all right, well, I got to spend money to make money, so I'm going to bet $10,000. Well, guess what? You spend another $10,000, and you still lose it all. And you're like, no, no, no. In order to make money, got to go for it big, big time, $100,000. That's what the United States is doing. We're saying, all right, well, we spent $400 billion, and we didn't get what we wanted out of it. So now we're going to invest $787 billion on a, on a stimulus, and we're going to rack up a $1.3 trillion dollar deficit well we're still losing so now we're gonna we're gonna go for two trillion that's what we're doing we're just continuing to put money down on the table and we are continuing to lose it over and over again here's the thought stop <laughs> i mean hold on stop hold off with the spending you don't have to spend more and more money we could actually cut some programs. Barack Obama, well, uh, that would be like taking a hatchet when a scalpel is needed. No, now, you know, before a scalpel was needed, now you need a hatchet. Because the growth of this economy, it's like a vine. It's like a, a bunch of vines. When, um, when my mom bought her house in 1993, uh, it was, there was just one thing that you could tell right away was it was, well, it was going to take a while to just to get the yard all cleaned up because there were all these vines that had grown all over the house and all over the backyard. It was amazing. There was cat's claw that was going up the wall all over the place. So there was just all these vines and all this overgrowth. And I think of our current deficit spending. I just think of all this growth and it's like a hatchet's not even going to cut this anymore. You need a chainsaw. You need a flamethrower to get through this. We just need to make some dramatic sacrifices, some dramatic budget cuts, and you need some tax cuts to go along with that to infuse more money into the economy. You don't just hand people a check for 300 bucks and expect that to fix everything. You actually have to have real substantive 
money infused into the economy and you have to make some budget cuts. You just have to say, you know, some of these programs, we just can't do it right now. I mean, I know it's neat for the idea of NASA going to Mars. I know that that's wonderful. I know the Bush administration issued a blank check to NASA. Well, guess what? We're going to have to put that blank check on hold. I know, space geeks. I know we're probably going to do something really important one day in space. And uh, I know that that's going to happen. Sure, sure, sure. Well, guess what? Right now, we've got to worry about something else, like eating. We have to worry about more important things at the moment. Sorry. Well, you know, some very important research could be done uh, right now. We're, you know, we're, we're uh, right now we're, we're testing, we're going to, we're trying sex in the International Space Station. Uh, we're trying to see if, you know, if you take a dump, what it looks like, if it's like in zero gravity. Yeah, I know very important things are being done in the space program right now. How about this? Uh, no, we're going to have to put that on hold. We've got more pressing matters. We've got unemployment. We've got a lot of things that are happening here on Earth. Once we've taken care of Earth, specifically the part of Earth, the real estate chunk that has the United States on it, once we've taken care of that, then, yeah, let's worry about space. Then and only then. Sorry. That's just how I look at it. You can look at it as, a, oh, that's a narrow-minded view. Are you anti-science? No, I'm anti-starving. I'm anti-unemployment. I'm anti-raising taxes. You know what I am? I'm all about the United States right now. The satellites that we have in geosynchronous orbit are not in any danger of falling back to Earth. Uh, the, the, uh, the space station, it seems to be running fine. <laughs> I think everything's going to be all right. We just need to sort of back off all that for just a little bit here and uh, get our minds focused elsewhere. I know, I, I just used the space program as an example, but there's lots of programs where we need to start making some pretty substantial cuts. I'm I'm curious to see what this State of the Union speech is going to be all about. We got quite a preview, but I will, of course, have some analysis for you uh, on it tomorrow. Um, you know, I know. Uh, if you actually do a show tomorrow. <laughs> well, look, uh, that's always a possibility <laughs> that we won't be here. I will try. All right, uh, coming up. Got to get to a couple of stories about some political correctness gone awry and just a few other things, too. It's Michael Graff in exile. Getting through it as best I can. It is Wednesday and we'll be back.
wisdom right there. Third and final segment of Michael Graff in Exile for a Wednesday, January 27th, 2010. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address, Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. On EFNet, IRC, Net Radio, the channel, we're also up on Facebook. You can find me there. I probably will respond sooner or later. I, uh... This is really hard to talk about, but... I feel that... I mean, I've pointed it out. A lot of people know about this now. So, last couple days, it just, it's just been way too hard to do a podcast. I just, I started to record one last night and I, I honestly, I just couldn't get through it. And then I was just, I just decided to put on the Suns game and I just sort of uh, fell asleep in here. I, I honestly just um, found it way too difficult. And well, um, my ex-girlfriend, Debbie, okay, she lives um, right across the street from me, all right? And, um, you know, she has this dog. We, when we lived together and everything, I, it was, it, this is a great dog. His name is Dodger. And he's a, he's a, um, he's a, a Dalmatian and a, I can't remember, he's a mix with another, but he's mostly Dalmatian. And he's just the sweetest, most wonderful dog. I, I honestly, first of all, I'm allergic to animals, as many of you know. I, I did own a cat for 14 years, and that never bothered my allergies. But for the most part, I'm very allergic to dogs. And this dog, well, I was somewhat allergic. It, it didn't have all the normal reactions. And if I ever got really bad around him, I could always leave. But um, he was just a sweet, wonderful dog. And um, I... <laughs> He was a, a big, at one point, he was like 100 pounds. And this dog, I just, I can't really, sweet is the best word I can use to describe him. He was so docile and so gentle with people. Uh, anytime somebody would come over, he was just, he was not like one of those in-your-face, climb-on-you kind of dogs, but he was always just there and he was very affectionate, but not over the top. Uh, he was, he, he hardly ever barked at anybody, um, he was very quiet. He was a very reserved dog in a lot of ways, but he, he had a, a very unique, awesome personality. And I've never owned a dog myself. That was the closest I've ever had to, to owning a dog. And um, just, uh, you, you couldn't imagine a more wonderful animal. Now, around other animals, around he, he did not like other dogs, or, and, and he tried to chase cats. He just liked to play with cats, but he really hated other dogs. So... Anyway, this was uh, Debbie's dog for the better part of God. Well, she got him in September of 2002. And at that time, he was well over a year old at that point. He had had a pretty hard life up until she rescued him. Anyway, um, so the last few months, he hadn't been himself. He had been kind of slowing down. Now, he, he was an older dog, as you imagine. He, we figured at least nine, ten years old, probably. And he had... Uh, some arthritis, I think, maybe a little bit. It was just a little bit harder for him to get up, even at, uh, well, he was very healthy. And the last few months, he had really been slowing down the last several weeks, much more so. And then, um, I I'm not, uh, listen, it's just too hard to run through the whole story. But uh, the last couple of days, especially, I'd been there pretty much 
all day and night, you know, with him and uh, checking on him while Debbie was working and just looking after him. And uh, finally, about five o'clock yesterday after um, he, he, the last several days, he wouldn't even really eat uh, or drink. And um, we had to force him just to drink some water. Uh, he managed to go out in the yard a couple of times and he was, um, but he was clearly just run down. And uh, then yesterday he, he threw up some blood and it was horrible, man. It was, it was really just, it was terrible. And uh, I, I realize I'm, I'm just, I don't necessarily have all my thoughts together. This is very hard to talk about without just breaking down and blubbering like an idiot, which I, I have to admit, I, I feel like, but I, as far as I was concerned, he was part of my own family. I mean, I, um, I, I have to say he was, he was a, a, my, well, he was the only dog I ever thought of as my dog. I mean, he was just a, a great, great dog. He looked kind of like a cow. So we always called him Moo. Um, called him the Moo. I mean, he, he even mooed. I mean, really he, uh, so, but, um, yesterday around five o'clock, um, while, uh, Debbie was sort of washing him off and stuff, uh, cause he had thrown up on himself and, and, uh, he, he just threw up all blood. He had one little sp- spurt of coughing and he just threw up all blood and, and then he just passed away. And, um, he was clearly suffering in his final days and it was so expensive to take him to a, a vet and have him put to sleep. And we were looking at five, $600, uh, to have him put down. And it, it, I, I thought it was a little bit cruel to, you know, um, to have him go like that. But unfortunately there really wasn't much of a, of a choice. And, you know, we could have taken him to a vet, probably once we started to notice he wasn't feeling well, but you know, what are they going to tell us? He's old, you know, and he's dying and we could have had him put down maybe then. I don't know. But the point is, is that, um, he, uh, he died and it was, it was very sad. He, you know, technically wasn't my dog. He was Debbie's dog, but, um, I was very close. He, and of course he, he, (laughs) He loved me too, you know. He was uh, always, always there. I, he was a great companion, very loyal, and um, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very hard now, you know. It's gonna be very hard uh, to to think of, you know, just not having him around in the neighborhood anymore, not having him around in in my life anymore. And uh, I know it's for some people a dog's a dog, you know. For Michael Vick, a dog is just something that you have in a fight and. And kill it, but other people are very close to animals, and that's why what Michael Vick did was so horrific. And when uh, uh, stories about animals, even though I'm allergic to animals, and even though it's very unlikely I'll ever own a dog of my own personally, um, I, I just I'm very passionate about animal stories, and I, I don't know. To me, it's not just a pet. To me, it's part of your family. And, um, you know, even though Debbie and I aren't together, you know, we're not in a relationship, um, it's still our dog, you know, and it's, it's still a part of our family in a sense. So, uh, that's how I felt. And that was, um, it's a very sad story. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's a terrible thing. And I, I hate to bring down my own podcast with this and, but, uh, I, I certainly cried about it. I, you know, we took him to the, um, 
<laughs> we took him to the uh, to this place today to have him cremated, and we're gonna get his ashes back. And you know, so it sucks. It really does. It's it's tough to lose anybody in your family. I uh, you know even a pet. A pet is. Look, uh, yeah, they're not humans. I realize that. Some people go, oh, come on, it's a dog. I mean, yeah, it's sad, but look, it's it's a part of your life. It's it's something that is alive and has a conscious. It, it has a feel. It has feelings and emotions. I mean, maybe not quite to the the same degree that humans do, but I don't know. It's it's hard to explain to people that don't that have either never had pets or that just don't feel that way about it, but. Whatever. So maybe I'm a wuss, but I uh, we're we're definitely gonna miss you, Dodger. We're definitely gonna miss you. All right. Well, uh, on to things that are a little bit more frivolous, and uh, we we definitely have a couple of uh, politically correct notes that I want to pass along. Some uh, some stories of PC out of control. Now, first, I have to tell you about this. This is something very dangerous. There is a book that is invading schools near you, elementary schools. Um, it is a book you may be, well, you're, you're all, all of you, I'm sure all of you are aware of this book. It is in every classroom of just about every age group from kindergarten all the way through high school into college. In fact, you probably have this book in your house. It is a book that contains very dangerous material, words that children should not be allowed to see. And that is why one school, uh, one group of whiny parents or one particular whiny parent has managed to get this particular book banned. No, it's not Catcher in the Rye. It's not The Great Gatsby. It's not Grapes of Wrath. It's not any uh, American literary classic. No, the book that I'm talking about that's so dangerous is the dictionary. Yes. Dictionaries have been removed from classrooms in Southern California after a parent complained about a child reading the definition of oral sex. Merriam-Webster's 10th edition, which has been used for years in classrooms for children in the Manaphy Union School District, they've been pulled off the shelves over fears of, quote, sexually graphic entries that are not age appropriate. The dictionary's online definition of the term oral sex refers to oral stimulation of the genitals. Quote, it's hard to sit and read the dictionary, but we'll be looking for other things of a graphic nature, district spokeswoman Betty Cadmus told the paper. While some parents have praised the move, quote, it's a prestigious dictionary that's used in Riverside County spelling bees. Also, I imagine there are words in, in there of cons- uh, other words in there of concern, said Randy Freeman, um, who um, now some some there are others there. That's not just a parent. I guess there are others that are raising concerns about this quote. It is not such a bad thing for a kid to have the wherewithal to go and look up a word that he uh, may have heard on the playground. Father Jason Rogers uh, told the local press, quote, you have to draw the line somewhere, however. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. What are they going to do next? Pull encyclopedias because they list parts of the human anatomy like the penis and vagina? Hey, don't give them ideas because that's probably what's going to happen next. Well, you know, the penis, I mean, that's a sex organ. 
Yeah, but don't 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 you use it for urination? Well, you know what? Children don't need to be learning about urination. That's up to the parents to teach them about their penises or vaginas. God forbid that a girl know what the vagina is. Uh, you know, God forbid they want to be interested and learn things in a school. Imagine that, wanting to learn. A panel is now reviewing whether the Manaphy ban will be made permanent. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary joins an illustrious set of books that have been banned or challenged in the U.S., including Nobel Prize winner Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon, which last year was suspended um, and then reinstated into the curriculum at a Michigan school after complaints that some parents had about its coverage of graphic sex and violence. Titles by Khalid, let's see, Khalid Husseini and uh, Philip Pullman, included in the American uh, Library Association's list of books that inspired the most complaints in the last year. So that's um, that's one section of political correctness that's just gotten out of hand. Yes, the dictionary now banned in some schools in Southern California. Be looking for that. I know it's it's a Look, it's a dangerous thing when our kids do independent learning. You know, that's bad and we should be discouraging this. How dare our children go beyond behind our backs and learn things on their own? Why they need to stick to the curriculum and God forbid they look up anything about sex so they could ever be educated about it. We wouldn't want that now, would we? And then going across the pond, this is just another example of crazy political correctness gone totally awry. I'm sure many of you have applied for jobs. As a matter of fact, uh, I was looking at a job description today and one of the, one of the uh, prerequisites for the job, I mean, I, I think this is sort of a, this should be an unspoken prerequisite, but they put it in most job applications or job um, openings that I've ever seen. One thing that says is that Candidates must be reliable. Well, in the UK, they believe that the term reliable is discriminatory against unreliable people. Well, yeah, they don't want to hire unreliable people. Must be punctual. Well, that's, a, that's discrimination against non-punctual people. Yes, this is an employer that's told not to post an advertisement for reliable workers because it discriminates against the unreliable applicants. When it comes to hiring staff, there are plenty of legal pitfalls that employers need to worry about these days. Uh, so recruitment agency boss Nicole Mamo was especially careful to ensure that the advertising for hospital workers did not offend on the grounds of rage, uh, rage, race, age, or sexual orientation. However, she hadn't reckoned that discriminating against a uh, different section of people would raise a controversy, but apparently it has. When she ran the ad uh, for a job um, on a job center, she was told that she couldn't ask for reliable and hardworking applicants because it could be offensive to unreliable people. In my 15 years of recruitment, I haven't heard anything so ridiculous, Mrs. Mamo said. 
If the matter wasn't so serious, I would be laughing out loud. Unfortunately, it's extremely alarming. I need people who are hardworking and reliable, and I'm and I'm pleased to discriminate in that way. If they're not, then I can't use them. The reputation of my business is on the line. Well, look, I think that you should um, that look people who aren't reliable. They they need an opportunity to apply to. If you're one of those people. This is just a hospital. You don't need to be reliable at a hospital. Name one reason why you'd have to be reliable. It discriminates against unreliable people. I was reading a radio job today and it required, uh, it asked for people that um, had experience with running audio vaults and uh, automation systems. Well, that just discriminates against people that have never used audio vault or other automation systems. Why, if you're looking for an engineer, uh, that discriminates against people who aren't engineers. The ridiculousness is just, um, again, this is the UK. This is one of the, this is, um, as I've said before, it's sort of a, uh, the UK is kind of a bellwether area. England is a bellwether country in that what happens there will sooner or later drift over here and we will become part of the lunacy that is that nation. Those policies, those ideas, somebody will leech onto them, usually a Democrat. Somebody will leech onto those ideas and then try to spread them here. You've heard it before. It's going to happen again. It's, it's, um, is that not the most, that is, that is maybe the craziest thing I've ever heard. Discriminates against unreliable, but well, I would hope it does. Wow. All right. So tonight, State of the Union address, check it out. We will have a breakdown of that tomorrow on the program. Uh, coming up later in the week, of course, we're going to do our best. We're going to run through the top 10 songs in the world of pop. Uh, that seems to be a popular segment. Got some praise. This was interesting. Some a uh, couple of people commented on uh, last week's podcast where we uh, sort of poked a little fun at the local media here in the Phoenix market because they got just a little carried away with their storm coverage last week. What was interesting was people say, "Ah, man, that was a funny radio bit." You know what's weird about that was it really wasn't much of a radio bit. That was about as dramatic as the people in this market get when it when it comes to to storm coverage. They get out of hand. They, you'd have to actually live here or watch the news from Phoenix to understand. But if you can go online and you can watch some of our news on days where we have storm coverage, just do it. It's it's hilarious, especially on days where we have severe weather. You know where we have. Not even so, where we have a dust storm that rolls through on a monsoon day. They cover it from the air. Well, you can see the, the plume of dust is now, it's it's headed through Mesa. You folks are probably getting some, some very strong, at least 30 mile an hour winds. It is. It, we I think we do see some rain coming down behind that. It's it's deadly. Oh, there was some lightning. 
that's really how they cover it. They have it covered from the air, from the ground. They have somebody on the ground that's inside the dust. Well, I'm over here at 44th Street in Van Buren, and the, uh, the, the wall of dust hasn't quite hit yet. But we can see it coming. Can you imagine? That's, that's how this market handles things. And they call this a podunk market. And what's sad is this is the fifth largest city in the country. And that's the... It's not just Phoenix, though. L.A. does the same thing. They go crazy. You'd think L.A. would have bigger things to worry about, like earthquakes, riots, just the fact that you're living in L.A. That's bigger. But if it rains, they go crazy. We have to worry about the mudslides. Oh, my God, the mudslides! Oh, uh, yeah, about those mudslides, I guess they didn't happen. We thought they were gonna, but we we just decided to work you up into a panic over nothing. All right, we're back tomorrow. Another edition of Michael Graff in Exile will roll your way then. Mike at KMGX.com is the email address for this program. Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address, should you want to be so generous and donate. Because I would appreciate it. If you have any suggestions for the program, we take those as well. You can also send me a message, Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. I leave it up 24-7, so I will respond to your message sooner or later. I didn't get to the male prostitute story. I guess we'll do that tomorrow. Something to look forward to. It's Michael Groff in exile. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.